The winemakers are up next, but first, check out this other great show on the Radio Misfits Podcast Network. Destination Eat Drink. I'm Brent Peterson, host of Destination Eat Drink, the travel podcast for foodies. This week, we're visiting Christchurch, New Zealand for something called Hokey Pokey, and we'll learn how to sample Marmite. So download Destination Eat Drink today on the Radio Misfits Podcast Network. Radio Misfits Podcast Network. From the birthplace of modern winemaking, Sonoma, California, welcome to the winemakers. Local experts Sam Katuri, Bart Hansen, and Brian Casey, along with host John Myers, invite you to listen in as they discuss all facets of winemaking. So sit back, pour yourself a glass, and let's hear what the guys have to say this week. John, have you ever worked here before? <laughs> Absolutely not, and I wouldn't be caught dead on places. Don't like mind the new guy. <laughs> what kind of bullshit is this to open the show, man? <laughs> hey, everybody. Um, today is the 86th anniversary of the repeal of Prohibition. So whenever it is that you're listening to this, after you uh, pick up your um, phone call that's ringing, um, have a glass and have a bottle of wine tonight and um, salute the end of Prohibition. There you go. And we are the winemakers. The there you go. Prohibition, which um, was the, re- the repeal of Prohibition was the demise of many an old California vineyard. Absolutely. I bet. Yeah. Because during Prohibition, grapes had value... Um, as moonshine because grapes get they have sugar they ferment really well and you could you could distill it down so there was all these vineyards um including vineyards in the mountains you know now would be you know prized like monterosso um that were pulled out after prohibition was repealed because they now had no use because you could get you could get if you wanted to drink wine you could get wine from europe Right, it, moonshine and, is, and, and is there a was, Kentucky term to me. Right, not not California. Right. And, and there was no commercial, there was no viable commercial wine business going on. Right, the right. wine business was dead. Right, the you know it took were, that time to get established again. Right, yeah, till the sixties. Okay, till the sixties. In other words, and, prohibition was not a good deal for the United States at all. Uh, it was a good deal for. You know the mobsters of your old ho- hometown. <laughs> absolutely, oh, Chicago was. It was good for huge it was good for the mob. Absolutely, uh, it was good for the DEA. The DEA became you know grew out of uh, the prohibition. Tremendous, cops. Um, and it was good for moonshiners in Appalachia. To you know, they became. NASCAR stars. <laughs> That's right. From Hall chasing, getting chased by the cops. Man. The ripples in that story <laughs> right? are amazing. Dude, pro, yeah. I mean, you know, um, well, the interesting thing is we're in the middle of a very different version of um, a prohibition repeal right now, right? With with pot getting legalized. And yep. instead of sort of ripping the Band-Aid off like they did 86 years ago, um we're doing it the most painful way we possibly can. Right. State by state and county by county. Nice and, and slow. And in town. Utah, you can still get arrested for a couple of joints, right? Uh, you saw well, George Thompson. Yeah, well, there. Utah might as well still be <laughs> prohibition. I mean, you can't send wine to Utah. You Really? Any alcohol sold in the state of Utah is all through state stores and 
crazy expensive. Uh, you can't. I hear people drive across state lines to pick up their wine club orders. I, I've I've heard something about that too. <laughs> <laughs> well, how close to the state line? Well, that's, are the, are the that's big. The are the well, big it's a big. Cities, it's a big you know? state, but uh, yeah. you know, there's only some parts of it where people drink on the regular, and fortunately, that's close enough to the border. Yeah, Sam, <laughs> Sam's go. got a. There's a popular rest stop right out, right outside the border, where Sam yeah. sends about ten percent of his wine club <laughs> shipments to. Big wine club, <laughs> Evanston, Wyoming. The wine stop. <laughs> so, if you're going to buy uh, any French wine for the holidays, Brian. Buy it now before the hundred percent tariffs go in. Yeah. Well, okay. so what? What do we know that's <laughs> fact about that? I mean, is that is is that will that happen after a date or everything that's already been bought be here, um, be at tax added? I mean, you know, who's going to keep track of that? I, I think it is. It has to, anything that's cleared customs. It cannot be. Can't be. It can't be like retroactive. Right. Oh, um, good. Lord. I had a, actually, a big conversation with. Um, Lyle Fass about the the first we haven't talked since this silly hundred percent one they're talking about but um he was you know I've talked about Lyle on the show before where he's a DTC importer he goes to little producers in all over Europe and brings 20 cases at over and sends out an email or you know brings small amounts I don't know how much he brings over brings little amounts and sends out an email and sells it direct so never go it's like stuff that before it ever goes to a store or a restaurant um and you know his business model was was threatened at a 25 percent tariff which is the one that that is currently in place um and you know there's a lot of people like that you know a lot of distributors that carry your favorite wines um will be feeling the pinch for this because you know, even at twenty five percent, it's it's tough. At one hundred percent, you know, it drastically well, it's, it's changes crazy. the yeah. wine industry. Yeah, absolutely. Well, the prices are not cheap from Bordeaux and Burgundy anyway. I mean, the Rhone wines are certainly value priced, from what I see. You know, some of them. Yeah, the, some of them. For the, for the most part, we could go through Jeb's one hundred and uh, <laughs> right. find some ones that aren't so value. No, but go, uh, walk down the uh, the aisle at a Leclerc store in Avignon, you're going to see a whole lot of wines that are all you know four or five euros kind of thing. Right, beautiful. But and those aren't m- making it here anyway. Um, but a lot, of, you know, and that's the thing about these tariffs is um, the way that it's currently working is a lot of different people along their way are all paying a little bit more and or making a little bit less. Uh, And that goes all the way back to the producers. So little producers in France aren't making the same amount of money on their wine because of it. And then, you know, the importers, the distributors, the restaurants, the wine shops, and ultimately, you know, the wine buyer is the one who's, you know, everybody's paying a little bit more as this goes along. And everybody then is, you know, making, you know, their cut is less, um, and it hurts everybody except for so, um, apparently the president. Let's Sorry. flip it around. What's <laughs> let's um, what's the benefit, right? So, like, what's the benefit of people having to pay a lot more money for French wine? Is that well, we, we can buy offset. wine from our friends here in Absolutely. California, right? Absolutely, right. Everybody likes wine from every different area. I mean, yeah. you drink uh, South American wines, right? And Australians, Australians have been known for just mass quantities of wine, but I'm sure that they have some really great wines over there. 
Yeah. You're the one that would well, know yeah, that. I, I, you know? Yeah. I mean, and a lot of those wines make it here and a lot of them don't make it here. But I think Brian's point is that for us here, the upside of um, of this is is that we will sell more California wine. And, and those of us maybe that should be point, really happy, right? right? Oh, well, I kind of doubt it's the point. <laughs> or or it's a side point, effect. But, no, see, Just, I actually, I, I don't think... Um, I, I don't think it's good for the California wine industry. And I, I don't think that because, again, you know, a small part of it, you know, the people that we have on the show, the, you know, people sitting at this table, right. most of what we sell is direct. The, you know, maybe some of our customers will be buying a little bit more California wine and a little bit less, you know, imported wine because of it. Um, but most of the wine that gets sold, you know, from California is sold through distributors. And if they're not doing as well, if they're not as healthy, they're not going to be selling and, and buying more wine, period. Um, so even if there is a, a shift in demand, I think in general, and this is maybe, you know, I, I don't try not to get too political, but um, there seems to be uh, with this administration of vendetta against California, I think in general, tariffs on wine, whether it's wine tariffs that are going from wine in, in California to China or from wine in France to the United States right. hurt the wine industry in general. Yeah. And, and, I, and I, I think that is the point. Well, maybe this will help us get over the tariffs in China. Bart and I were talking earlier before the show about what's going on in China. I guess it was Elaine Brown, Waka Waka, mm. um, her review. She was over there and uh, I think it was Singapore and it was a big wine expo. She was in Hong Kong. Hong Kong, okay. So she said the California area was deserted. They just can't buy it. They're just not doing it. And then Bart brought up the fact that any really good California wine is, and French wine, any really good wine is suspect of being counterfeit. Well, this came from a conversation I had with that um, couple that was in from China that was in the tasting room a couple of months oh, yeah, ago. Yeah, yeah, she was studying. She was studying to be a psalm, right? And she had both the. She'd paid like five hundred dollars for the Chinese version. Well, and she had to have the, the Chinese English. and the English version because there was some terms that we use in the wine industry that don't translate into Chinese. Such as never, I don't I don't I know. It's mostly I never about would've. like flavor descriptors. You know the, the you know flavor descriptors are are cultural. Uh, Pencil you know, shavings and tobacco, or and, like uh, black yeah. currant. If yeah, you've never right. had, and you know we've talked it's kind of why tasting notes don't apply don't to everybody anyway. But if your entire language doesn't have the <laughs> <Right>. word for <laughs> or a, a you know, it's like yeah. whatever it is. Yeah. But she, but they were talking about how they don't even. They said there's very little California wine. If there is, it's high end, and if it's high end, there it's very suspect because they a large percentage of their wine is counterfeit. And there's entire industries that are just based around making counterfeit wine. And see, I just can't. Well, obviously it happens. So you have to believe it. But I just it's so much more pervasive than I thought because everybody has to be in on it. And then, Sam, you brought up this movie, <coughs> Sour Grapes, that you'd seen. Right. Well, it's uh, this is the the Rudy Kearney one story. And, and Rudy um, was at the very least the front man and fall guy for. And if, you know, billed as the sort of mastermind of a massive high-end wine counterfeiting ring um, and sold, you know, amazing bottles of, you know, supposedly amazing bottles of rare old French wine to 
collectors all over the country and uh, and including like a coke brother he sold a bottle of Excellent. completely faked um <laughs> supposedly like it was either from thomas jefferson's cellar or thomas jefferson made right. it or oh some God. like bullshit and he um, bought into it huh? and Excellent. the way that the whole like and that was one of his fatal flaws well but i mean those bottles do exist and mr coke probably owns some of them so right, this was like completing his collection or something right um but the interesting one that that brought it all down was a a producer in Burgundy got a like a I don't remember if it was Sotheby's or one of the you know whatever auction house was doing this auction and they were they listed a vintage of wine of, of from his estate from his domain that didn't exist that they didn't right. make wine that year and he goes well this this can't be real and he goes and he sits in the back room of the auction as it goes off and somebody buys it for some obscene amount of money and just sort of like he follows this trail um and it led ultimately to this guy rudy and like some big mansion in you know the valley in la um with this very sophisticated count you know wine counterfeiting operation we're making labels the thing about rudy which and you know i imagine that a lot of the counterfeit wines that like those people were talking about, you know, California counterfeits and in, in, in China probably taste like crap. But if you have a, uh, un, you know, uninformed customer base, um, you could pull those things. Rudy was pulling the wool over supposed like master psalms and, you know, huge wine collectors. And, and apparently, you know, he's like one of these people with a palate. He could... He could he could make he, these blends with like whatever right. and make it taste close enough to the real thing that people would, would Well and he would do stuff like he'd buy a thirty four and then use that and put it into like a thirty five, let's see in Burgundy that like whatever was a stellar vintage, he would buy either a couple years before or after. And then he'd bring so it with other fruit. If they tested it, it would I mean it would look like, like a carbon it. test, it would you would be like, Oh yeah, that's from this year. So it's around that time. Yeah. And I imagine that nobody wants to say I got had. that I got had and big time. I mean, well, I, I bought it. some bo- bad bottles of wine, but not that yeah. bad. So. <laughs> it just pissed off Mr. Coke. That's the wrong guy to piss off. Well, I don't know. Anyone with that it's much It's entertaining money. that he got. Well, I, I know. I <laughs> think there's that's people all. that you feel worse for and people that you don't feel so <laughs> yeah. bad for. Yeah, <laughs> totally. <laughs> oh, man. So, what's going on around town, guys? I haven't been. Well, look, can we do a active? quick, quick, yeah, sure, a quick absolutely. what we're drinking? Okay, absolutely. So, so first wine is this 2016 Scribe Skin Fermented Chardonnay Carneros Appellation. Oh shit! Aged in concrete. All right, hold on. Let me go get my baseball hat out of the car. <laughs> and so, <laughs> I love giving Scribe shit. Sorry, <laughs> <laughs> you, Sam, you missed it when. Um, uh, there was a group that came on the on the bus tour to sixteen six hundred, and uh, shout out West Wine Tours. And and as they were there tasting, a woman came to look at the bus, and she was very nicely dressed, very attractive. Um, it looked like she <clears throat> might have just driven from L.A. And she said, uh, "Oh yeah, we're we're thinking about booking this tour. I just wanted to get a a look at the bus. Wanted to inspect the bus." And then it's an old <clears throat> VW bus. It is yeah. exactly. All the, they're beautiful. <laughs> all the they're girls, exactly what you think so they the, are. The girls that were on the on the VW bus tour said, "Oh, oh, you're going to do it in the future." They're like, "Where are you going today?" She said, "Oh, I'm going to Scribe." And two of the girls were like, "Oh, you got into Scribe?" They're like, <laughs> "We tried, but we couldn't." And the one said, "Oh, well, we're wine club members, and it's still sometimes is difficult to get an appointment for tasting." And I was like, "Holy shit!" 
Are they, they have, are uh, they printing money in the basement over there? <laughs> um, I, I've been in the basement. They have a piano in the basement. I uh, believe it. Yeah, they. You know, it's a. Uh, um, you got Barry Manilow trapped down there. They have a, an amazing <laughs> hospitality, culinary. The venue is awesome, and, and they have a culture. That they have a created, Yeah, they man. tapped into totally. sort of you know uh, uh, early on a like San Francisco young. You know, Fort Mason, Marina, Cal Hollow, like, connector, uh, you know, and it really is, like, one of the first wineries you hit, uh, you know, you drive past, you can drive past Ramsgate and maybe, like, two or three others, and you're at Scribe. What I don't think um, the Scribe folks understand, though, is that, really, they're just getting all the people that can't get into Gunlock Bunchu anymore, <laughs> because they're so full, and they just end up at Scribe, because it's next door. Down in the turkey farm. <laughs> the view is the same, you know, one is old German styling, this one's old Spanish styling, but really, it's all the same German family, because they're all drinking Sylvaner uh, and Gewürztraminer. Uh, I better be careful. No, shout uh, out how, do like, how do you shout like the wine? Bun. Shout out to yeah. Scribe. Right. I mean, they yeah, do absolutely. they do a great job, and this is uh, this was something that I bought when I was there for lunch. Um, you know, I was uh, wanted to go. You got in describe. You got in describe. It was like a Tuesday, I think. Preacher. <laughs> <laughs> it was Christmas. <laughs> they were closed. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Sam was just there eating a bag lunch on the right. steps. I went to I went and rode my bike into Gunbun and found an open gate and. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> bought, bought a hot dog and a bag of chips down yeah, exactly. at uh, Todd Jolly's place. Yeah, right. so, so the scribe, decent wine here, pretty good. Yeah, it's an interesting wine. It's um, uh, it's a little flat for me. You know, I wish it had a little more acid, but I think that's the point. It's a skin fermented Chardonnay. It's very easy to drink. It's not offending at all. I, you know, it's a it's a pretty good user friendly wine. I like the bottle. The bottles. What do you call this bottle? That's I mean, a tortuga. Small. Tortuga. You call it small because no well, one can drink put, a whole uh, bottle Castanata. of skin fermented Chardonnay. <laughs> is it? What's? That's is it a? Why. Is it a five hundred liter? It is a five hundred liter. Twelve point six percent alcohol. Um, They're really fun to do with cheese and cured meats. I like. I like the skin fermented whites. Yeah. I think when I was there, they were serving. Um, I think it might have been like, you know, it really was. It was like a Tuesday or maybe they're close. It was they had some <laughs> famous You're chef right, in they were close. over the weekend. And um, so they were serving the menu that that chef had put together. So the leftovers. Leftovers. I got leftovers. <laughs> and there was a bottle of half open. <laughs> It was. I, I paid a good price for this. I think I, I stole it. <laughs> I'm pretty sure. <laughs> I had some leftover pork meatballs and a half a bottle of skin fermented Chardonnay. And that's uh, what made it so good. And I haven't been invited back since. <laughs> they saw you sitting on the porch. A little lonely Sam outside. I posted a picture on Instagram and I got the fuck out of there. That's what you're supposed to do. <laughs> well, I still like the bottle. This is what they put uh, the Castaneda in at three sticks. Uh, uh, and that's what we put our olive oil in. That's right. right. Um, we went to, we used to do 500s this size. We went down to kind of get the olive oil to stretch a little further to 375, so a, a half bottle. Um, but. They're hard to find, I, you know, 500s and, and full size you can get maybe, but um, sort of off shaped wine bottles or it's sourcing is is difficult. Sam, that it is makes a more appropriate olive oil bottle. Let's face it. Oh, it's, it makes a <laughs> nice you know, one. That's what we're giving for Christmas to friends this year. Everybody has wine, so we're giving your olive oil. 
You better buy it. Have you bought it yet? I got a half a dozen. Okay. So, so Get far. Get it while you can. Oh, yeah. The only one in It's it's bottled and on the shelf in the tasting room, but doesn't that's it. La- it doesn't last very long. No. It doesn't last long as Olio Nuovo, because that's like a, this fleeting as the solids fall out, um, and then it doesn't last long, even though this was a good year. We have a lot of oil this year. It's still Oh, it's, it's still beautiful this year, man. Really nice. Oh. All right, and then what else? Did we opened up the... Um, the Croy? The Absentee Winery. Um, I don't know if you've tried that one yet, Sam. We were drinking it before you got here. Yeah, this is from this is from Miracle Plum. Got this at Miracle Plum. This is from Avi Dexler. Naturally, perfectly delicious wine. Point Reyes, and this is a blend of Syrah, Petite Syrah, Carignan, and one I've never heard of: A B O U R I O U. He he was nominated. Sometimes W. Wait, sometimes why? <laughs> he was he was one of the winemakers to watch according to the Chronicle here in the last couple of years. This guy. Yeah. It's a cool label. Organic grapes, elemental sulfur. Flaws, is that head the name prune, of flaws? Dry farm. Is that what it is? It, I think that says flaws. Or is it claws? Because of the bear. But it looks no, like an F though. You're right. It's flaws. I don't think I'd name my wine flaws. flaws. I mean, it's you know What if you don't have any? You lean in. <laughs> lean into your flaws, embrace them. I you know just lean into the fact that I always talk over people on the podcast. It's yeah. almost Avram <laughs> Dexler. It's like me wearing a half shirt. Ingredients, ah. grapes. <laughs> you just don't want to see it. <laughs> Why would you highlight that? Uh, Thank you, Brian. Uh, uh, Carignan, Syrah, Zinfandel, Petit Syrah, and Abaru. I don't know. Hand harvested whole cluster, Abaru. eighteen months in raw American oak. He makes his own barrels. Raw American he, oak. He makes his own barrels. He's his own Cooper. That's interesting. Where does he yeah. have the time? I don't know. Like his absentee winery. He's never in the winery. He's always making barrels. <laughs> well, maybe he likes the woodwork. It's a real skill. Obviously. Does he get the tree? I'm, no, I mean, I, now I actually do. I want to. Now now I want to have him on the podcast. Yeah, now I want to have him on the podcast. Where does he make right, well the then barrels? Where does he find the oak? Hold you. <laughs> you haven't tasted the wine yet, Sam. Okay. <laughs> no, I tasted the pod. I tasted the wine. Quite good. Quite good. Yeah, no, I know. I'm nice. just giving him shit. Nice blend. And then we've also got on the table a Carpenter Pinot uh, 2018. Somebody dropped that trying to sell it to you? Yes. You can tell by the business card on there. Business card taped to <laughs> Hanging it. From Little the... note, Brian, we had such a great dinner at Sante. <laughs> they only had appetizers and they left after five minutes, but they had a wonderful time. And <laughs> Please try this wine. I, I've heard good things, actually, about Carpenter wine. I've seen them on some um, lists that I, that I respect. And then we have a Croy GSM in front of us. As well as it's it's a big 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 a heavy heavy. Bottle. I have no idea why. I mean, it stands so, yeah. a well. I, I'll tell you why. Why? <laughs> that's that's what older winemakers do. Instead of getting the convertible uh, Corvette, they get the larger bottle size. Okay, <laughs> just just if old wine feels so heavy in your hand. There yeah, you and go. then when they when they take pictures of the bottle, they usually get a woman with very small hands to show the bottle. Terrific. Yeah. I'm so glad you told me that, Brian. <laughs> Brian, uh, you have you listened to it. Women on Wine on the Radio Misfits podcast network? Yes, Marsha Maycomber. Yeah. yeah, you mean the podcast where they actually stick to their topics? <laughs> and they did the uh, historic uh, Vineyard boring. Society. I if listen. You stick to your topic; it gets boring. You need to entertain. Is is that the advice? It is. You right, would give to them. Absolutely. <laughs> do, don't even have a title for the show. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. Who are we? It's number four. <laughs> that's all it is. All right, so what do you think of that wine? 
I had a slight tinge on my tongue when I. It's got, a, it's, it. it's got a little astringency for sure. Um, you know, 100% whole cluster and raw oak. Um, point Ray's. Point yeah. Ray. Well, the, I, I think that's just where he's making it, though. It's labeled California Red Wine. Are the well, grapes no, actually from out there? There is yeah, a vineyard. It's in Marin. There's a vineyard out there right on Highway 1. I actually um, opened a bottle of Point Ray's sparkling, like it's called Point Ray Station right. sparkling wine. Um, that was eh, not that good, um, but it was the first. It was the best sparkling wine I'd ever had from Point Ray's. <laughs> On a Tuesday. On a Tuesday. It was a Friday. It was a Friday. At Scribe. At Scribe. <laughs> Found it in the cellar. <laughs> All right, what else we got? And we got a Carlisle's in from Rossi Ranch. Uh, open in twenty thirteen. Shouldn't have opened this. <sighs> too late. Uh, too late. Let's try it. <laughs> but I love the label on the. Um, no, the, the package is on great. The flaw with the, on the with flaws. The bear. I, I mean, there's got a bear on there. It's got to be claws, it's right? Got, no, it's an no, it's, man. and it's a bear with a smile and roller skates. <laughs> so and old school roller skates. Like it. It's a happy bear. Yeah, do, like, you, do you guys know how you get a what kind of cheese you use to get a bear out of his cave? I don't. Jesus. Come on, bear. Come on, bear. <laughs> Ooh, you like that? <laughs> Did that come from Abby? No, or she doesn't tell her she, that. A lot of kids I've tried that joke on don't understand. Dead joke. They haven't had camembert cheese, and so they don't get it. So they just think I'm. <laughs> or it's just not that funny. <laughs> that line kills. kills. That line kills. We sell so much Most cheese that places. way. <laughs> kills. It's a good cheese pickup line. <laughs> <laughs> Cheesy pickup lines with yeah. Brian Casey. Available now on the Ready Podcast. Hey, Ed, maybe there's a new podcast there for you. Find the perfect pairing. I love. Have you guys noticed in the last couple of days your emails, especially about anything present or Christmas oriented, holiday oriented, has just increased? I, I looked down. I have forty three emails, and I cleaned it out when I came over. Well, that's why mm-hmm. I forgot to send any. <laughs> there you go, Sam. Thanks for your uh, supporting the radio station KSVY. Much appreciated. Uh, that event's tonight, right? That is tonight. Little party over at the uh, at the women's club. So nice, uh, yeah. That's a great venue. What a cool building. Thank you for your donation of wine. You're welcome. Because uh, we never really had good wine. You know, so, <laughs> well, Stan knew you know people at you know one or two other wineries, and you know he went to that. But right. nonetheless, I think Stan hit very, me up for very, wine very, once or twice. Yeah. Back in the, maybe he, uh, may I think he you just know what kept he, it. Yeah, I was gonna say it's probably still in a wine fridge somewhere in Mesquite, Nevada. Rats <laughs> ass Nevada, man. Um, so yeah, I'm getting tons of emails on wine. This is on the perfect pairing. See, drink pairings, just in case you're interested. So, um, uh, for all you out there listening, we finally got our rain here in Sonoma. Mm. I don't think the last time we podcast we had really had much. Well, we're um, podcasting from your dining room table instead of the backyard of the tasting right, room because right. it's now... Oh, it has the, changed. The grasses haven't started turning green yet because we haven't had much sun. But yeah, I there's get a the f- couple little sprouts I saw out there yeah. starting to happen. Yeah. Um, I noticed that they almost fixed all the potholes on Grove Street before the rainy season right. returned. Well, the amazing thing is that the um, we had a landslide last year that blocked the gutter 
and so the water runs across Grove and it's destroyed the road in that area. And so this year when they were up doing some other repairs, I mentioned it to the guy and he says, oh yeah, we know about it. It'll be taken care of. And the last couple of days, the water's been rolling across Grove Street and it's all buckling and, and potholes again. So, um, you know, they know what they're doing. That's, that's for oh, sure. Oh, really? Not in my neighborhood. <laughs> Oh, we've just got well, our your neighborhood still has potholes. Dirt roads, man. Man. Your, your your house, your neighborhood still has yeah, just exactly what Sam yeah. said, dirt roads up until just recently. Yeah, well, ours was built on a dirt road, so gravel. You know? yeah. I grew up on a dirt road. Well, that's a good thing. Yeah. Sam, it gave you character. Man. <laughs> it was really hard to play basketball. That was the one that was. Right. Basketball on a gravel drive. Well, it's okay. That's, it's kept, that's it's what hard kept to play from that's, that's, what, that's what kept me from realizing my true potential. It's, it's hard to play basketball at the Chase five, Center right five. now. <laughs> just play like LeBron. Just don't dribble. Just don't dribble. Yeah. <laughs> Still have to make it. Don't play. Don't play like the Warriors recently. Hey, this hey, the, hey. the Warriors are are the seventy three and nine of tanking right now. They're just like figured out how to. <laughs> yeah, fourteen to out of the last game. seventeen, they lost something like that. So I'm figuring that the prices are going to get down. It'll be nice to go see some games down there. It'll be yeah, a lot of fun. Affordable, well, have. Chase Center, right. Right. affordable home games. Get it? Yeah, to get in there in the magic moment when the, the g- tickets get cheap, but before baseball season starts and there's extra traffic. Right. I'd like to do that. I would love to go to a game. I mean, we I watched the Bulls in their peak years and then watched them tank. So it's all okay. Just go. You have fun. That's the whole idea. The, the flaws is pretty hard to drink. <laughs> you know, coming back to it, it definitely I, it, raw American oak does stand out. There is a r- real roughness to it in the yeah. kind of mid palate. It's interesting. Yeah. yeah well, what would that do? I mean, I, just, this is the first raw American oak wine I've ever had, so it's hard to say. Uh, <laughs> I mean, other than you know, but it's also like you said, what 100 percent whole cluster. Um, you taste that sort of. There's some, but but I think the American now thinking about it as we're as we're sitting here discussing it is doesn't the American oak, the raw American oak, kind of fight with the whole point of the whole cluster, you know, which is to bring out big round. Um, you know, um, fruit. Yeah, you know. definitely. You know, hard to get. I mean, it was also sort of this crazy blend of varieties. Right. Hard to get a lot of like, you know, varietal characteristic through this. Um, it's interesting. It's, you know, it's also 2018. Maybe, you know, right. so it probably wasn't in that raw barrel for very long. Might be cool to buy a couple of used raw barrels from them. Um, see what would happen. See if I can. But uh, you know, maybe it needs more time to let some of those things integrate a little bit. It definitely feels disjointed. I think that's that's you know, doesn't have a continuity of style. Uh, but you know, maybe it's got to, needs to come together. What I, don't do know, think, I still want to talk to this guy on the podcast, so I don't want to right. trash his wine too right. much. <laughs> Maybe he'll listen to this. Not episode. at all. You know, right. I mean, anyone that's making their own barrels. No, it's committed absentee winery. Uh, you know, it's a he's in deep. Also, when you're, you know, you can do things like this when you're you're not necessarily paying Napa or Sonoma prices for grapes or for space. Using or, some Rhone varietals, right? Yeah. Sam, there's an old cooperage building. Just south of the depot restaurant mm-hmm. in town, mm-hmm. was that ever operative? 
What's I, the mean, history I, of that I think place? at some point, yes, it was. I don't know that it was. But I mean, it's been a long time. Yeah, and remember, um, barrels were used to transport everything, everything back in the day. You know, everything from dry goods to nails um, to yeah, yeah. To, to everything. So uh, yeah, barrel pickles, um, right? Monkeys. You know. No, it's a different thing. <laughs> <laughs> is, that, is that a Grateful Dead reference? I don't think so. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, let's talk about your your uh, stuff you guys brought in this year. What's going on? Are you guys just done? You're done? You're not doing anything so in, I, your, I, in your I cellar? Mean, uh, I think Sam probably has a story to tell, but just <laughs> real quickly, I'll tell you mine. Um, uh, everything's in barrels. Everything's topped up. Um, everything's dry with the exception of one little lot that's moving closely to being done. Uh, but not done with ML, so we haven't added sulfur or anything. So I guess right now you could say that, you know, 100% organically grown grapes and no additions whatsoever. Maybe I should start jump on the natural wine bandwagon. Call Marissa You're Ross. such a hipster. <laughs> <laughs> Call Marissa Ross. Um, Did you add water? Um, you know, is that a... Is that a would it not be a natural wine if you add water? I added, I, I, I added a little bit natural of... Natural wine has arguable definition so right. you, I think the most important thing about natural wine is that you call it natural wine right. uh, I, I, added, I, I did add a little bit of water to um, the Grenache and the Mouvedre yes but other than that that's it so yeah and everything looks beautiful I, I'm very excited and it was those. organic water so and it was organic water yes and then I um, I, I oxygen, <laughs> oxygenated it with my biodynamic um, uh, mixer. Oh, oh. Did you, you uh, uh, <laughs> not even, it's, what's it called? That you got from Sharper Di- Diamized it. Diamized it. Spun it 43 times in one direction and right. then 43 and times in the other direction. No, but you have to create chaos. Like you maximize, right. you maximize the vortex and then once it's reached its maximum vortex, then you disrupt it by going backwards very violently and then you build it back up to the equal vortex and then you return it back to to destroy it. Wow. Yeah. Right? I mean, who knew there was Learned so much to like Apparently. <laughs> <laughs> I can't wait we to try this wine. We didn't even smoke pot before we did that. So. Anyway, um, what about you, Sam? Are you guys pressed off or are you still on skin? <laughs> we are pressed off. Everything, including the extended skit, uh, you know, maceration uh, of the Adutet Grenache. And so how many days did that end up being on skins? Um, and when do we get to try 25? this Grenache? Um, well, the one time that I was supposed to get a sample and we were going to have Isabel come on, she was mad at me because I wasn't going to get the barrels that she needed. Um, but then I got the barrels that she needed, so maybe we'll get a sample now, okay. um, which I think is the story that Bart is trying to drag out of me. So no, 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 I did, no, that yeah, wasn't it. That actually. wasn't no. okay, but it's no. a good one. Um, but well, since you volunteered, <laughs> uh, so we're pressing it off. We pressed it off the Monday before Thanksgiving, uh, the Thursday before Thanksgiving, or the Thursday, yeah, so a week before Thanksgiving. Um, uh, Isabel sent that she needed four uh, 600 liter, you know, large format punching barrels. Um, and we thought we had some, but it turns out they had already gotten filled with like our steel plow grenache of a reprieve. So we're sort of in a scramble. And, you know, these are the type of things that usually you put your order in and 
April, May, maybe June if you're late. So uh, November <laughs> was really late. And uh, the first few people I talked to said, oh, yeah, good luck. Uh, this is, you know, the week before Thanksgiving. There's no empty barrels. Um, so went from that being, you know, what I told Isabel is like, be prepared. They're probably not coming, which is why she didn't come on the show or bring us a sample of um, any of the wine uh, to by the next morning. I had eight of them. And four of them were through a contact uh, at Daylinger. Yep. Uh, really, really nice barrels. Um, twice used, but uh, didn't, weren't what Philippe, Combi, and Isabel were looking for. Uh, but I'd already committed to buy them, so I was just going to buy them, but we're going to put some other stuff into them. And then later that night, at like 8 o'clock that night, I get a text message from somebody who had talked to Justin Smith at Saxon. He had... Essentially, once used, but ba basically this almost the same barrels as the ones that I had gotten from Dalinger, but uh, because that they were at Saxum, uh, <laughs> Philippe more. and Isabel wanted them. And I, I got, you know, Justin gave us the like, it, it was the bro price for sure. Uh, but on Monday morning before Thanksgiving, me and uh, Dan, um, you know, Bigfoot, Dan Luck, who works for, for Enterprise Vineyards, um, saddled up a flatbed at about four in the morning and drove to Paso, got to Paso at eight, ate breakfast because we knew no winery people were ever going to be at work at eight o'clock in November with nothing to do. Uh, ate breakfast in Paso, a place called Kitchenette. I highly recommend it. Um, actually in Templeton and then drove out to Saxon, loaded up these barrels, um, talked a whole lot about pot and then, um, and about being on the podcast. Uh, no, mostly I was just trying to not get bit by his dog. <laughs> Didn't, I mean, that's the thing about like, Justin is, he's a super nice guy, uh, down to earth, but also like one of the most successful winemakers in California. And the place feels like that. I mean, you know, um, it's not open to the public. It's not super accessible, but it's, it's beautiful built into the side of the mountain. Um, there's like, you know, high energy sort of Euro rock pumped in through the whole cellar. <laughs> um, you know, he's got like big bins of the weed that he grew in the next door. Um, you know, it's just like this whole thing is like, on top of it, there's this dog who is, you know, probably like a pit bull mix. Um, and, and, for whatever reason was not like stoked that I was there and and he didn't Justin didn't seem to like notice like oh yeah there's the dog uh but the dog was like trailing me through the whole as he were like walking through the cellar walking doesn't like through the guys caves. with beards doesn't like but Justin's got a beard I, you know he was hurting you definitely gave me a nip on my leg as I walked past him at one point and I'm just like looking around like nobody saw it I'm not like gonna be like dude your dog's biting me is you know basically giving us at you know fifty half off these barrels. Um, it just and you know there's a few there's like his interns were still there, so there's like people working everywhere you know and and on, it's just like the whole scene was pretty epic. Um, and then we loaded up these barrels and busted ass back to so you know so nine hours on the road. We we got back into Sonoma um, at about three o'clock. So it was basically a, a, a an eleven hour for these four barrels, uh, and they're now filled with uh, Oakville Ranch and Rossi Ranch uh, Grenache, not blended, but you know, two of them so, Rossi, two of them Oakville. And Isabel's happy. 
and and the French there the French go. are happy, good, which is you know, and just really the most important thing for for those of us that want to know. So what was it that they were looking for for barrels? It was it that the he wanted some oak impact. He wanted something newer but not brand new. Yeah, I mean, so before we found these Saxon barrels, the new solution was just going to be hold it in stainless until we could get four new. Um, Four new punchins from Sagan Moreau. Um, you know, the certain like Thave stick, Stave, Thave thick, 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 say that four times. A, th- Easy a certain to say. Stave, stave thickness, thickness um, and you know, medium to light toast. Um, so not raw. How does he do raw? How does he shape raw barrels? We have to get, we have to talk to this guy. Um, and um, you can shape them with steam. But still, okay. Um, and yes, yeah, some oak influence. I mean, I think the ones that we had planned to go into weren't were neutral, had been used twice. So, right. um, you know, but with bigger barrels, maybe it takes a little bit longer. Yeah, for that it to is. Go away. And there's it, with bigger barrels, there's less impact. And so, therefore, um, that's why people aren't as afraid of new oak on larger, larger formats. Right. Um, and then the stave thickness, you know, the thicker staves. Um, you know, that's trying to less oxidation, right? Right, Takes so less air is getting right, through, yeah, and and then the larger format also. So, right. um, kind of cool ideas. So, yeah, I mean, you know, and I actually had a, ended up, um, one of the people that I called in that, um, and this is somebody who we're, we'll, we'll talk to him, um, Frederick Johansson at uh, Staglin, mm-hmm. um, and he basically, you know, when you have a highly successful big name Napa property like that you get to do what you want and he's plays a lot with um with large format barrels and buys new ones all the time and so he's a you know if you're next time you're looking for him he's getting rid of him he's getting rid yeah. of him pretty much always but and he does both whites and reds really um and you know a lot of new and and once use and then um cool yeah it's definitely you know a way of of softening the oakiness, but still using new barrels, right? And you right. kind of get some, but not right. too much. Right. And also, you can keep the wine in barrel longer, right? Right. Yeah. So. It's so, all it's it it's all very interesting and certainly very new to me. But you know, I have to say most of what I've learned about it is from listening to podcasts and talking to people. Listening you know? to more informative podcasts right, than, than this ours, one. yeah, <laughs> obviously. <laughs> and, and yeah, different set of winemakers. Um, and anyway, well, that's cool. That's congratulations. You guys are all pressed off. And, and they didn't, and none of the barrels fell off on 680, which yeah, was really the most important. <laughs> How the hell do you chain those down on a flatbed? Uh, you stand them up on end. Actually, is the best way, to, especially when they're empty. When when they're full, um, you know, there's a barrel rack and straps work pretty well because they, you know, sort of, it takes a lot to move them anyway. Yeah. But when they're empty, we stood them up on end, pushed them right up against the, you know, the front of the bed, right up against the cab. Uh, so and then went over both of them, you know, over both uh, barrels, all four barrels, and then a strap around the back of them. And they didn't move. They weren't. I mean, those and they're were, and they're heavy. They're heavy. Yeah, it's not yeah. like especially the 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 six hundred liters are are quite heavy. You know, yeah. they they stand four and a half feet on end, four and a half feet tall. So um, they're there's a lot of wood there. They're really almost is. as tall they're as heavy. I am, yeah. which is yeah. insane. Not, but I wasn't going to say mm-hmm. that. Right. <laughs> so the tanks I saw in Europe are just mega tanks. You know, and they're 
I was always amazed. I had no idea what the hell they were storing in there and what they were using them for. But, you know, you see so many different things. I was amazed that they use Hungarian oak, and they find a, a difference in it. You know, I mean, uh, Peter from Molnar, um, his cooperage and has Poseidon uh, wines and mm-hmm. another brand. Uh, but, uh, yeah, he's, you know, he's, he makes a big deal out of the fact he uses Hungarian oak. And I don't know. Of course, so. he owns the Cooperage. <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> he's trying to sell Why barrels. Not? Let's get and right down to it. Of course, absolutely. But anyway, I, I wondered about that building in, in town, the Cooperage, because it looks right. like a really cool old building. It is a cool old stone building. Um, it was unreinforced masonry, so part of what is going on there now is it refitting re retrofitting it so it doesn't fall down in, earth. in fact and it actually suffered pretty significant damage in the napa earthquake whatever was that 2014 mm-hmm. yeah. um well somebody was going to put a restaurant in there the old olive and yeah vine, the olive and vine was going to go in there now it's it's actually a um mac and leslie mcquan project and i, I don't hmm. know exactly what they're going to end up doing there i heard the tab uh, was you know, five million to retrofit that place uh, you know, they've been working on it for a while and yeah. it's still got a long way to go. It's still pretty much just a skeleton, um, old wood and stone. So, it, uh, you know, that's a that's a big project uh, for a little. It's not and it's not that big, you know, not that big. No, building. it would uh, make a small restaurant, actually. It would. Yeah, it would be a great restaurant. I think I think it's going to end up being housing or some sort of like nice apartment or vacation rental or I'm not exactly just sure. what we need vacation rental. VRBO we, you know <laughs> we need people coming and staying yeah, and spending absolutely. their money so well that was a big deal you yeah. know I mean I talked to several people who absolutely did have cancellations but Sonoma County is absolutely open so is Napa so is everywhere you know I mean uh, our fire season is over and and at right. that point fire we season. never were burned out here so right. you know it, it was, was way never annoying. even smoky and here. no it did not it was right. so that different was than thing. 2017 yeah very different or even last year yeah right with the campfire but um it now is you know we actually have had uh, I had some people in the tasting room uh over, earlier this week who you know they did Thanksgiving with family in the South Bay. They live in in Denver, but it's the wife's birthday like this week. So they always extend and, and do their wine country trip in December. And they're like, it's great because it's way quieter. Mm-hmm. The weather's, you know, it's still beautiful here, even if, you know, it's foggy or rainy. Um, you know, it's still a cool place to be. And, and um, so, you know, if you... Want to come? This is a good time. Jan- December, January, yeah, February, January. Um, especially when the sun comes out because it's green. You know, this is when it's green. Um, so oh, it gets an amazing color, doesn't yeah. it? Yeah. And Bart, the view out of your place today—it's foggy. Oh, it's not that bad, man. I'm surprised <laughs> you can see all the way down. That was beautiful view. Probably was r- pretty thick this morning though. When you it was, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and I want to say on was it Tuesday or something? I don't think the sun. We never got out of the the fog, basically. Right. So it happens. It you know it seems to sometimes the layer sits at about eight hundred feet and just sits there all day long. So. It just kind of wraps around the, the southern end of Sonoma Mountain right. and covers your house. That's it. That's it's, it. Su- it's sunny on Solano Avenue, but right. <laughs> <laughs> it's always sunny on Solano it's Avenue. Always sunny in Solano. Barely get my hand around that. Croy bottle. That's the. That's it the is point. wild, isn't it? That's a chunk of glass. That's a big bottle. 
How do you like the wine? I think it's my favorite one on the table. Really? Yeah. I like the Carlisle a lot, but Brian likes right, big Sam, bottles. <laughs> <laughs> you're right, Sam. The Carlisle could have used a couple more years. I think I, I yeah, no, that one's second favorite for sure. That's really good. And that, um, Sam, you have to take your scribe home so you have it for lunch. Go find some leftover meatballs. <laughs> Interesting <laughs> labeling. You cannot read this on the back at all. I guess it's just the government warning on here, but that's it. And who is this big 1880s D and company? Is this a distributor stamp on here, Sam? I think that has to do with the original ownership. Yeah, the original ownership of the property. Right. And, and, it was, and was there there was connections with the bun shoes or the goon locks or I'm not I don't know exactly. I've I've heard the story, but um Maybe that they sold grapes to, I, I, or it was originally a, a, a there Gunlock was, yeah. Bunchu ownership, and then the, I think believe it was Dressel. Yeah. Um, Maybe that's the Dressel D family. Yeah. Th- th- that is what the D stands for. Um, they purchased it, and the Scribes family or the Scribes have been trying to link themselves kind of historically, uh, trying to show lineage of farming there, I think. Yeah. Oh, so this is a Kirk Vang, Vangi, Vengi. How do you say that? You guys ever had Vengue? his wines before? Vengue, yeah. yeah, this is one of his wines. Just saw that on the back. From where, that where is he? So that means it's the boar. Well, I've had their, uh, we used to have the Syrah on the list at the Girl in the Fig. Deep, dark, brooding Syrah. Brooding. Yeah. It's what you would sell to people when they wanted Cabernet. For sure. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's a good substitute. It's just fine. I mean... It's a tough package, for sure. <laughs> Which, how much does it cost to ship a case of that? Lots, <clears throat> hundred twenty bucks. Uh, I mean, you know, it's got to be a. It's got to be an upcharge for it. It's got to be a sixty pound case. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's a backpack. You know, five five pounds a bottle full, at least. Um, yeah, no, definitely. You know, it, actually, and it doesn't fit in the so wine rack. And that it doesn't right. fit in the wine rack. This was this was actually just. Um, and in fact, maybe it was Paul Mabry, Marbury. We're gonna, yeah, um, next week. Next week, who um, talked about the the wine industry's sort of you know unsustainable, ungreen dark side, which is the weight of our packaging and all of the shipping, and you know the the bottles that come over empty from wherever they come from and get filled and, and trucked and just like what the carbon footprint is of, of moving wine. It's it's an he- a heavy product that we then bottle into heavy glass. And then if you go the m- extra mile and bottle it into an extra heavy glass, um, you know, it's hard to, you know, all of the efforts towards, you know, sustainable or whatever, um, you know, and hard, it, this is the thing, and and you know, I think sort of the corollary to it was that you know, wine bottles, and this is why you know, ties back to Rudy Kerning wine, where you can get away with doing things like faking wine from the 1800s. Is really this packaging hasn't changed in 300 years, um, and you know, not to say that I, I you know, I, I love a natural cork and a real glass bottle and and you know, storing it and and the whole deal, but. Um, for most of the wine that gets consumed faster than, you know, again, eight hours from purchase um, is a heavy bottle and the best way of getting it to the consumer, you know. 
Probably not. And that doesn't even have anything to do with all the waste that goes in with bottling and all the plastic and cardboard. Uh, right. And, people don't even you know, people don't even see, see that. that. How much cardboard comes, cardboard and plastic wrap comes on barrels shipped from France. Like every one of them is shipped individually, covered in, in plastic. cardboard and then covered in plastic. And well, even the wine bottles, we you know we bottle, put them into boxes, and then either of those boxes. They get unpacked and either put on a shelf and then put into a box for people to take home or they get put into another box to ship to their house. Right. Well, And those boxes were wrapped in plastic and then empty, wrapped in plastic in cardboard boxes, show up at a winery. The plastic gets cut off. Oftentimes those boxes get thrown away or recycled because once it gets labeled, it goes into a different like branded box and then wrapped in plastic again and then gets taken to a warehouse and then gets put on a truck where it goes and gets opened and the plastic gets unwrapped and then it gets packaged into you know mixed pallets and then rewrapped in plastic, plastic and then again. sent somewhere else yeah. um, you know there's definitely a lot of places that people don't see that you know we could do better but putting it into five pound bottles is a thing that everybody does see and and it doesn't help doesn't help the wine it doesn't help the consumer it it only helps again the you know, and I I know Kirk, and he's an, he's a nice guy, but it's you know part of the branding of a Napa you know produced right. wine, right. but it it doesn't help anything but the ego of the people who make it. Yeah, well, and you guys saw during putting all the wine club shipments together this year that there's just got to be another way. There's someone just hasn't quite yeah thought of it yet of of that bottle not ever even going into cardboard until it's shipped out to a consumer. Well, you know, there's a lot of places in in France where they just they bottle it into these crates that they stack it up and move those crates around or even you know. they just stack them in i mean we've all seen pictures of sellers that you know they're in they're in a cutout in the side of the cave and that's all of the whatever and, vintage wine and they take it out they clean it up and label it and sell it as they need to right wow you know they also print labels in bulk and then print little stickers that have vintages on them which is a really cool thing. Uh, I've always yeah. one, you know, it doesn't. It's not really practical in, you know, American California custom crush facility kind of, uh, you know, and and co-op storage kind of places. But how um, much of the glass here comes from California? Most of it comes from China or Mexico. Okay. And transportation costs and green factor. Where does it balance out that you want to buy from California? Versus importing with tar- well, uh, with tariffs now and my glass cost. I, yeah. I'm sure you've seen this. All your glass costs have gone up 25 percent because of Chinese tariffs um, in the last year or two. Right, uh, in the last year. So, yeah, you know, um, it, it's. I don't know if anybody is making glass on a regular basis. On a other than maybe does Gallo have their own like internal? They, they do, but I don't know how much they make to sell to other than their in house stuff. You yeah. know. They have that company G3, which supplies all sorts of stuff, but I'm not sure that you can buy Gallo-made glass, not Modesto-made glass. I imagine that probably goes to all their own product to help keep their bottom line down, right? Right. Um, Yeah, I mean, I just got a notification from a glass company. They were end of the year clear out, and um, I took a look to see if there's anything that I could use to work for my marked bottling trying to save some money because yeah. I know that the tariffs there, right. you know, and you know, what's even worse. That is you got to pay for the pallets. Yes. Yeah, <laughs> There's a charge for the pallet that the glass. Comes and in. those are all recyclable. I mean, they're companies well, that they're, do that. Um, yeah. They I mean, they, they are. Reusable. I mean, but 
you know, they they charge you full price for a piece of crap pallet that falls apart. So right. then you, anyway. So. Well, so once again, where does it come down on cost you know, that's, and, I, I, transport, et cetera? I mean, I think that really the the demand for better packaging has to start with the consumer and not to say that this is, you know, the onus is on the consumer, but you know, nobody wants to buy fine wine at fine wine prices that comes in a can, it comes in a can or comes in a, one of those cardboard hexa boxes or even a screw top, right? Even a screw top, which weighs less than the screw top bottles weigh less than conventional bottles. Nobody that's, it's just, um, you know, do, could we, as an industry, like all push hard and do more sustainable packaging and still put fifty and sixty dollar price tags on a you know liter cardboard box of wine? You know, I, I don't know if I don't know if that's there yet. I mean, I don't know. it isn't. It isn't Bordeaux. Tweet, tweet um, us, post on and on. You know, if you're a wine consumer and you would pay, you know. $80 a bottle for something that comes in a, you know, non-glass bottle package. Um, you know, let us know. I, I I don't know if the demand is there and I don't know if anybody's brave enough to do it on the... I know who would be the perfect people to try it would be Scribe. Hotel guests at Fairmont? No, I'm I'm thinking oh, of no, someone that's... I mean, you're, you know you're, probably, I mean? you're probably right in that regard. So then it would be like, cool. So they would be right. like, oh, they did this, this wine and this super right. recyclable packaging and then it would be like a thing and there i mean and clearly the demand you know you can't get an appointment there unless you sneak in on a wednesday and eat leftovers and like yeah. i did digging uh, through the garbage right dig through the garbage dumpster diving at scrap i could probably sell it as an airbnb experience come dumpster dive at snowman napa's fanciest wineries um included with your cost is bail money um no you know i mean i think that that they do well with their. They have a line of canned wine, their rosé, and they do well there. Um, so you know, maybe it is. It would take uh, a brand like that that has. Well, or sort of, you know, Jordan Kivelstadt, something that he could come up with and right. sell through his. Um, you know, I mean, essentially his own distribution, right? Right. Well, I mean, and, you know, in a lot of ways, free flow, which is you know Jordan's company, um, is the answer to this where um you know it's it's reusable um stainless steel wine kegs that you're you know you're then transporting a large volume um you know directly to a wine shop or wine bar um you know that's you know without cutting out the glass and the packaging well and and, and, and lowering transportation right costs, and, yeah. and then what's to say that you couldn't get 750 mils of a um, sixteen six hundred homage, you know, to Val Rossi, that comes from a keg in a nice restaurant, and they charge you appropriate for it, right? And it comes in a craft, and you just pour it out of it. I mean, it there's something lost in that you don't have the package, you know. You're not. It's not. It could still be a craft sitting on your on your table. I, I don't know, but um, you yeah, know, on would, premise, in premise, like. Stuff, just, right? They have Easy their own bottles. That. I mean, you know, they have their send, own. Them, send them a stack of labels to put on there. I mean, that's, Maybe. you know, when you think about like the wine industry of, of pre-prohibition and pro, even post-prohibition California where most, you know, like these old pictures that we have from the Rossi Ranch where they would make the wine on site, 
the train there was a spur on the train line that came out of the Kenwood depot and they would put the barrels right onto the train and the barrels would go back east and the wine was sold out of the barrel at you know a general store or, you know market or a restaurant or right. bar or whatever and it just that's a great you idea know, you put a tap in the bottom of the barrel and and filled up crafts yeah. i mean you know that's what was, you do you run to your corner store and right. they fill up your filled up your bottle yeah that's it um so you know all over paris man that I mean, would I, be yeah you know that would be a, a a way of you know cutting out a lot of that jordan's doing that at his tasting room they, right. they have growlers. Right. But I guess what I'm saying is, could it actually work in a restaurant situation? Right. Like there are restaurants that have, uh, you know, nice wine by the glass pours, you know, but you're still paying wine by the glass. If you wanted a bottle of that, would they sell you a bottle's worth in a craft at a bottle price, not at the glass price, you know, and could you figure out a way to market it and, and, and let the person when they sit at the table at least know what they're drinking. Yeah, no, Other for sure. Than, and it's a, it's a stable product. I mean, there's not getting any oxygen. And well, that's exactly right, yeah. you know, because it's no, in it's the great. keg. It's, it's a great way to deliver it. I, I just know. like the I'm, the more I think about the box thing, it's got me excited because it's it's square. So you're, you know what I mean, with bottles, the way you're packing them, the, the way. Right, there's a lot of wasted space. All the wasted space, but with square, you could have like, it would be perfect little box right. and the 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 um, weight reduction is incredible. We we have a, a neighbor who had an idea for wines. It was called he called it the twenty, and he used these really nice wood boxes, and they had a tap on the outside that was the similar to a Guinness tap, very very high end stainless steel cap and or uh, tap, and then on the inside he had a bag, and it was a bag of wine that collapsed upon itself. So for holding, it was great. And he, and what he was trying to get people to do is commit so much wine that he would bag it all up and it would sit on the back bar with your label on the, on the, on the wood box and they would use it for pouring by the glass and trying to sell high-end wine. The biggest problem was, and I think I talked to you guys at The Girl in the Fig about it one time, is that there's just nowhere to put things like that on back bars usually right. in restaurants. And it's just space and every restaurant is always an issue. And if you have six or eight of these boxes, which probably hold nine liters, you know, they're probably similar to a case or a half a case. It takes up a lot of space. That is, a, I mean, that's a, I mean, and at the end of the day, that's, that's why what, kegs makes more sense. All of the, this all comes back to the fact that wine itself is, it weighs a lot, you know, takes up room, at, at, you know, and, and, and also, being in a glass bottle with a cork is and can be important to the way the wine tastes, the way the wine ages, you know, what it what it means purely from a performance of the product totally. standpoint, not, you know, nothing to do with branding, marketing. Um, you know, it's it you put glass, you know, put wine in a glass bottle with a natural cork for a reason that has to do with the wine on the inside and not necessarily the label on the outside. So to come back to it being a, that's, I mean, you know, look, I just paid a a $25,000 American express bill for our, our wine shipping for, for, you know, the month of October and months of October and November. Um, and that's, you know, shipping wine is, is expensive. expensive. It's difficult. Um, you know, you, you know, you watched us building those boxes, getting it out. It, it, 
Um, you know, it's, it's also, it's fragile. Um, you know, all these things that, that make it difficult, but also at the end of the day, um, it's, it is part of the allure, right? You know, this is something that took a lot of effort to get from the dirt through the winery into the hands of the consumer. And, and it, you know, part of it is, yeah, it's, it's hard to get it to wherever you are. Um, and yeah. what would it be like when people get their wine club shipments and they have to have something to open to put on Instagram, right? Opening up the box. Oh, what did what did Phil do, send me? Exactly. <laughs> we should just sell. We should take our make wine, dehydrate it, turn it into powder, <laughs> ship the powder, and then you add water when you you know you will send some powdered water too. So you just add water to the powdered okay, water. Yeah. Sam's I mean, wonder wine. And you can powder. add a little less water if you want a more right, if you want concentrated like, if you wine. Want to get it's like a little Kool-Aid. <laughs> right? You know? Tang. Uh, I like, like that. I, I like lower alcohol wines. Double the water. Yeah, add some more water. Oh, yeah. What's your alcohol? As much as little as you want. <laughs> I was thinking of that thing from Star Trek it. where you just put it on the thing and it beams to wherever you want. But right. yours, yeah, is, yours is a little more practical. Right, well, it's yeah. slightly more realistic, I right. guess. I'm not really sure. Slightly. And you could have, like, different types of water. So, like, you know what I'm saying? Right. Like, you could have a filter water and then a not filtered. Well, one if that, we're, like, you know. One that's by a Dow chemical plant. Right, yes. Just to see the difference. I like underlying. natural water. Right. <laughs> Part of the natural water movement. River water. <laughs> snow melt. Detroit City. Whatever happened to that winery that we talked about a long time ago on the podcast where they were simulating wines? Remember? They were making yeah, them out Yeah, that was like of, a... One of our first, you found that right. story. Yeah. Why don't you know what happened to it? I don't know. We should look it up and see. They were making like they were making lab wine, right? AVA, right? It was called AVA, I think. Just fucked up. Right. Yeah. Well, it's not <laughs> quite exactly what you want when you open a nice <laughs> bottle, you know. Honestly. Bart's consulting the Google. I was gonna see. I'll see if I can find the Google. The Google. Yeah. Or whatever happened to Randall Graham and his like ten thousand different type of varietals? He's that he was, still you know, going. He's still going. I mean, it, it's only. Maybe some of those vines are coming into. I mean, it's going to be generations, gro- right? And he's growing from seed, right? So you know, one in ten thousand grape seeds, one in a million grapes. It's like some crazy number will will germinate successfully. Uh, you know, cross pollinate successfully. Then why would he do that? It's he. This a purity aspect? N- no, I mean, it, you know. Uh, Randall is is Who one is of Randall? the eccentrics of the wine world, right? You know, he's driving around in his Citrion, posting on Twitter every time it breaks down, which was pretty freaking often. Um, he you didn't know, like his Citron. Huh? It's um, <laughs> it's. I mean, I think the idea was eventually, and really generationally, uh, kind of time frame, um, create a, a grape that's adapted specifically to. The place that he's growing it, which is that word that I can't pronounce, polychumium, something. Don't, Don't look at me, Brian. Like, I was Brian's thinking you were gonna say Santa Cruz. Pol- <laughs> no, it's like it's like somewhere out in the hills towards Hollister, I believe. Yeah. Yeah. You know, so sort of east of Santa Cruz. Hmm. Um, and you know, he's planted a bunch of different things out there that he's growing from seed, so it's gonna take. You know, even when you plant a grapevine from from rootstock and cuttings, you're talking about three years before you ever get a grape off of it. And I, I think that the time frame is even longer with what he's trying to do. But he talks yeah. about he's out there working it, and I, I think actually picked some stuff from there. Well, we tasted this harvest. No, it was the or, harvest before because we actually that's what we actually tasted when we had him on the podcast. 
Remember oh, those two bottles? Of, it was and one he was, of his unique varietals? Yes. It was the red and the white right. were the two that we yeah, tried. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, think I just didn't realize that, you know, that was something that came up. Jasmine and I took a W set on Saturday and that was one of the things that came up in the class was that if you took that, you know, it was a very rudimentary class, but it's, it's great to take classes like that sometimes because there's stuff that comes up and you go, I had no idea that. And the guy was saying, yeah, we don't plant, plant grapes from seeds. They come from rootstock and, you know, me and Jasmine are like, well, yeah. Duh. And then, and then he's like, cause if you took a seed and planted it, let's say you took a Chardonnay grape, took the seed out and then planted it, he said, it wouldn't be the same Chardonnay that you right. picked that from. It would be, it would, it, it, it mutates. Some, like it, it has mutations. It and has, turns you know, into something else. No, you don't know exactly what pollinated it. Um, yeah, so then you're thinking, holy shit, like how many, so that's why, I mean, if you wonder why people get confused sometimes, whether it's Movedra or, or it's uh, Pickpool or whatever it is, or whatever that thing well, was right. with, with that Randall, point, you know, it's be. like, I mean, there's there's a lot of different grapes out there. I imagine that you know are just slightly different from from other grapes in their same vitis well, vinifera. And, and even with even with um, rootstock and grafting, you get variation, and then you start to you know like a, a an old vine vineyard where uh, as vines die, they're grafting from other vines that are out there. You start to create, and this is you know you talk about you know, a old hill ranch clone of something, a bedrock clone of something, a Monterosso clone of something, the Wenty clone of, of Chardonnay. They didn't create that out of air. What happened was the Chardonnay that they were growing at in the Wenty ranch. And, you know, a hundred years ago, they started to have vines that were naturally evolving and adapting to, to do better and started to graft from those vines. You know, it's called a Masal selection. I'm probably not pronouncing that right. That's right. Um, and eventually what you create is a variety that or a clone of something that is unique to that site because those vines that survived are the ones that were had whatever sort of, you know, random genetic mutations that made them better suited for that place. And, yeah. and, and a lot of times that's just picked by the guy who's managing the vineyard. Like he has vines that look good consistently and they mark them right. for being budwood for that reason. And so the, it, there's a human intervention that goes on there also is that. You know, they're picking as opposed that. to seat random seeds. Right. 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 Yeah. I think it was on Raj Parr's Instagram feed. I saw some like mission grapes that were growing somewhere that they said no one had ever seen these grapes before. They think they were tilled under like decades ago. And then at some point just kind of started to reappear in this field. And so they were they started making wine of them. But they were the weirdest vines I'd ever seen. Like it didn't have it didn't have clusters. Really. It was just like so sparse and um sporadic like the way the the fruit was coming off these vines it looked really weird well i mean a big part of that is you know the way that we train and, and prune the vines you know sort of concentrates the fruit zones and, and yeah. stuff like that if you just let a vine go wild it'll have little tiny clusters of all over the place huh yeah, yeah or get huge like uh um when hardy wallace was out there with us at um yeah, Buddha's Dharma Vineyard. I don't know. If, I think it was Movedra or Carignan. Yeah. Just like it was almost like a cave you could climb into. Yeah, I mean that's just like <laughs> the architecture of the vine, or you know, when you're out in Lodi and they call them the Lodi ladders, right? Those very, very tall, head pruned. They're not head pruned, but you know, untrellised vines. Mm -hmm. I think um, the lo it is. It, they call it a version of head prune. Oh no, it is. Right, but, but it's not. But it's not, not what we think of as a head prune, where the you way. cut the top off and 
and and you know more the goblet it's right. it's a ladder you could almost climb right. and mm-hmm. by the way um on the google uh, nothing since aeva winery since 2017 it's probably because somebody realized it was a terrible idea and pulled the funding. <laughs> somebody got killed. Right. Like, <laughs> OD'd on. Because they were using basically um, alcohol. Right. Just like, like Everclear. Yeah. And flavoring like, it. Yeah. And, and, and it. then adding different flavors. But they were supposed to recreate my 67 Cheval Blanc. Well, you could just buy that recreated anyway. <laughs> right, from our earlier conversation. <laughs> and since you've never tasted it, what would you know if it was fake or not? The right. best bottle of 68 Cheval Blanc that you've ever had. But somebody's got to be doing a damn good job. If, if well, so, no, I think that's the point. Is Some of them are great, and some of them, I mean, great by fake wine standards. And some of them are probably terrible. But it's the same thing if you got a two counterfeit $100 bills... And one of them looked really good and like smelled like real money and tasted like real money. And one of them was obviously fake. They're both not worth anything. Right. They're both like you'd rather have, you know, instead of two fake hundred dollar bills, you'd rather have one real hundred dollar bill. Right. Oh, absolutely. I mean, for me. Yeah. So. Well, the thing is with the like. Have you seen a counterfeit? My sister just brought me a. A few months ago, she was in Nairobi, Kenya, and she brought me a ten dollar, uh, a fake ten dollar bill. American, American, really? How looks bad like was a ten dollar bill? I'll bring it to you. It looks spot on, but it's not real. And it, she knows it's not. Oh yeah, no, she had to. She she bought it knowing that okay, it was a counterfeit go. bill. She how swapped. How much she did traded. She pay for it. She swapped a ten for a ten. Yeah. Strange, <laughs> but but I think with those wines that like, like Rudy was fixing, I'm sorry, because um, it, it's cool. I I wanted it. I took it from. Him. Did um, you pay her for it? Did you just take it from? No, no, she just gave. <laughs> he gave her twenty bucks for it. Yeah. <laughs> and ouch. <laughs> but John, a lot of those wines that I think those people that are faked, the the super high end place where Rudy was at, I bet you ninety percent of those wines. They never got opened. No, they were specifically right. to go in someone's collection, like like Mister Coke that that has just this incredible cellar. But I, I, I mean, you're not opening up an 1865 Thomas Jefferson and then get resold, what? right? They're right. all just they're investments. Yeah, which is just, yeah, and that's what uh, Rudy came into the. I mean, it's worth. It's on Netflix somewhere. It's worth spending a 90 minutes with it. Yeah. Uh, it's maybe a way to celebrate Repeal Day. Um, you. Rudy just showed up on the scene and he would like go to these dinners and open epic bottles of wine and just made it seem like he had an investment seller. Yeah. That these wines were coming, you know, out of his cellar. He had access to some of these these wines somehow. Yeah, and uh, and he was and some opening, of them were probably real. Right. That's the yeah. point. Is that he was opening up real wine which made people have confidence in him that he had things to sell. So, you know, and it worked brilliantly because he got to enjoy those wines, you know, and and had a movie made. Which also goes back to the point that we were talking about offline, which is uh, Rudy was the front man of what was clearly a much larger criminal operation because somebody had to pay for the real wine. Somebody had to pay for the old bottles of off vintages that he was then faking into, um, you know, into the sought after vintages. And, you know, and then at the end of the day, people were either in on it or turning the other cheek, you know, turning the other way because the people who made probably the most money out of the whole situation were the auction houses. Yeah. You know, it doesn't matter 
you know, what you're making, they're making right. 35% on whatever, you know, whatever their cut is on every one of those bottles that's sold, whether it's real or not. So such a scam. Buying so what's, in the, what's in that email from Benchmark, John? What are you, what old bur, uh, Burgundy are you buying us for Christmas? <laughs> you know what? I look at that stuff all the time and they have some really interesting things. I mean, I really don't think that they're going to, you know, do 94 Bull Castell at all. Do they really want to do a $100 bottle of wine in terms of fake? There's apparently fake $10 bills in Kenya. <laughs> That's right. And right? Now, now in Petaluma. And now in Petaluma. <laughs> well, what a great way to fly under the radar, it though. It's not a 20. It's not a Boulevard. 50. It's like the $10 bill is like the good, like... Uh, you know, who looks twice at a $10 bill? Right, nobody's running their little pen on the $10 bill. <laughs> it's a $10 yeah, bill. It's a $10 bill. It's, it's a perfect scheme. It's like barely a cocktail anywhere in Sonoma <laughs> right. anymore. It's not a cocktail in right. Sonoma. You might be able to get a beer. Yeah, certainly not a glass of wine, is yeah. it? So, Well, Sam, what do I say? You know, I'm, I'm, I'm interested in all of those things. Those scams just blow me away that how they can run them. But he did get caught. And how did he get caught? Ultimately, uh, well, you have to watch. You have the to watch. Show for that. Yeah, spoiler alert. Well, um, yeah, no, he got he got caught. Five bucks to rent the movie. You can tell uh, me for free. You know, you you piss off rich and powerful people, uh, and you know they call the FBI. I mean, that's it was a, it was it was. Or you the get Coke brothers, or you get Epstein. Right. Yeah. Right. You strangle yourself and then shoot yourself in the head four times. Right. Both the I think the Koch brother hired a private investigator, and mm-hmm. and then also the the French producer who watched the auction house sell a vintage right. of right. his family's wine that they never made. Um, were the two you know sort of threads that got pulled and unraveled the whole thing all you had to do was go into rudy's kitchen right there there was evidence (laughs) and that i mean that the the raid on rudy's house that they have footage of at the end of this thing is just looking around this house is you know this operation i mean it looked like he did a lot of it i mean he was sitting there doing these blends and 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 he was antiquing the labels to make them look old and yeah creativity but yet, you know, it's possible they're making 94 Bocastels. It's not just about, you know, blue chip stuff. It's the $10 right. bottle of wine. The, right. the fa- counterfeit ten bo- $10 bottle of wine. There well, the $10 bottle of wine is fucking fake anyway. Right. right. That's exactly right, Sam. <laughs> I'm comparing it to his bill. That's it. No, I, I understand. <laughs> well, the easy, you, you pick an easy label, too. Like, what are those? Is it Orange Swift that does ones where it's like an E? And a V. Mm-hmm. Have you seen that? Like, how easy would those be to do? run a run a few thousand cases? The of locations those? brand. Yeah, well, yeah, another one of the brands that he's sold like twice or something. Right. Yeah. But again, those are fake anyway because are they actually really from those locations? <laughs> you know. Who knows? Um, this Croy is is actually the best bottle on the table. You like that too? Yeah. yeah. It's like. Yeah. Know your winemaker. That's what I mean, we that's the end of the day, right? Yeah, absolutely. Know whose wine you're drinking. I drink yours and I drink Sam's or uh, Bart's. A few other locals. That's about it. Yeah, yeah look at the color on that shit. Oh Deep God. purple. Yeah. Could have sold a lot of this at the girl on the fig. Yeah, for sure. No. Just no place to put it. Right, just don't put it in the wine rack. <laughs> 
you know, workman's comp claims when people had to carry it to the table. <laughs> God forbid that thing <laughs> falls on the floor. Yeah, somebody go through to the basement. <laughs> right. <laughs> All right, you want to do some sh- sh- shout outs? John? I don't have John, any. John, shout out to I, your. I, uh, I don't have any. I probably should have told you this earlier, Brian. Um, we're doing Vinyl Sunday. Oh, yeah. Oh. You're, you're before uh, the orchestra Sunday. back December 22nd. <laughs> Hope you can clear your schedule. Woo woo. Uh, yeah. September. No. December 22nd. December, what month are we in? 22nd. December 22nd. 22nd. What else, what else do I know about it, John? Yerba Buena, baby. <laughs> uh, the Yerba Buena Orchestra, which is David Gans's band playing all original music. Um, and we're going to do... So for years, Enterprise Vineyards has done this end-of-the-year wine and cheese party, which has become sort of like this sought-after thing. Um, and Diddy Vela, the cheesemaker's daughter, who puts together this just like epic cheese table... Um, so we're gonna do. We're gonna extend that as the food at Vinyl Sunday. We're gonna put a like just a epic cheese table out. We're gonna get uh, Ovello, the new favorite place in like Sonoma, place. Uh, to do a big you know charcuterie salumi uh, display and and then uh, edible and then uh, maybe get Mike the Baker. We'll see. It'd be good to have something warm because it's going oh, to be gonna say what happened to the pasta girls. So the pasta girls are, are in Milan right now. Uh, and it just with what we needed to do to make it happen in December, uh, wasn't going to work. So we're going to do something with, with, uh, Ali and Elise in, um, in the spring, okay. you know, some sort of when, you know, they can spread their wings a little bit more with totally. the pasta stuff. So I'm trying to, trying to keep this one a little on the simple side. All right, so Vinyl Sunday. September 22nd, uh, under a tent. December 22nd. December. I've never done one in any time but other <laughs> know, than like the weird. summer. It's so Cause, bizarre. Because if, if it rains, it's still on, right? It, rain or shine, we're putting up a tent. Um, it's the it's the winter fest. It's the day after the solstice. It's the last Sunday before Christmas, and it's Very the first night of Hanukkah. So we're gonna, you know, we got we're gonna do the winter whites. We're gonna kind of keep all of our white wine more cellar temperature. Pour a lot of that, um, and um, you know, olive oil. The the Hanukkah is a is an olive oil holiday. The the oil that lasted eight days in the temple in Jerusalem was olive oil. So you can actually still get olive is oil manure. True, or is that your selling just technique? For totally, this, this totally year. made that up. No, that's my father-in-law. <laughs> um, it's the day before the seasonal sessional too. That's be a rough couple. It's gonna be a rough week. What's anyway. the seasonal sessional? It's a it's a, a meeting of fr- old friends here in Sonoma and at the Swiss Hotel and. It's just a group of men getting together and having a lot of drinks. And there's usually a theme. And, you know, so the very first year it was all Santa Clauses. This was before the Santa, you know, before, whatever. This is the original Santa Claus. This is like the original Santa Claus. And then there was one year it was pirates. And there's been um, uh, Jesus was the theme one year. <laughs> and whatever you want to do, there's been a big hats day. There was a Burt Reynolds year. Everybody had like cheesy mustaches. Yeah. And so this year it's... Um, this year, it's um, your favorite drink. What? So you can come as a beef eater. You can come as a shot of tequila. You could come as oh, the Captain Morgan dude. The Captain Morgan dude. Yeah, it's so there. Dress up in like a like a quinceanera dress and be a margarita. Want <laughs> <laughs> to leave that one alone? <laughs> the whole quinceanera thing's already, you know. Questionable. 
<laughs> anyway, uh, Vital Sunday on the 22nd. That sounds awesome. Yeah. It's going to be a rough week. Don't And then don't go to the Swiss Hotel on the 23rd, apparently. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, I want to give a shout out to Wine Zulu. Mark, who was the, the psalm at the Fairmont and then left and to go you to. stole his job. Yeah. Callously. <laughs> he went to Perry Lang. Have you guys heard of that place over in Napa? The only reason, the only way I can think of the name is to think of the Beatles song "Penny Lane." Penny Lane, Perry Lane, Perry Perry Lane, Perry Lane. It's a winery. Perry Lang. No, it's a restaurant. So he went there to become a sommelier, which is like a sommelier slash sounds manager like a, of the restaurant. Where you work too hard, don't get paid enough. That sounds like what it that job is. Sounds like <laughs> totally exactly what that is. Normally, that's when someone leaves and they don't hire someone else to replace right. you. We're not going to pay sudden, you more, but you have to do more work. Yeah, now. all of a sudden, you all just have like one more thing to do. Um, but then he came in the other night and said that he had quit and he was with people. So I didn't get to talk to him that much, but he said he's focusing on the um, doing the tours. So uh, wine Zulu, Z-O-O-L-O-O.com doing the tours and he's getting them hooked up on. Um, I, I, we can talk about this later, but I guess Brittany is like, oh, you have to take people up to Phil's house. You have to get on this whole thing about taking a people up to Phil's house and I'm like okay well so much right. to talk to I, Phil number about one that. I don't know that I 